Good morning. Let's pray together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Would you please be seated? Our text this morning, as we hear from the living God in his word, is Genesis chapter 18, verses 16 to 33. If you're just joining us uh, for the first time this morning, we're in the middle of a sermon series through these chapters of Genesis that tell us about the life of Abraham. And we're seeing that in the life of Abraham, even long before Jesus Christ came, uh, God shows us the gospel of Christ. So I invite you to have that text open in front of you, either in your bulletin or in your Bible, Genesis chapter 18, 16-33. And the structure of my sermon this morning will be pretty simple. We're going to talk about two questions, two questions that come up explicitly in our text that the characters in the story ask themselves. The first question is the Lord's question. In verse 17, the Lord asks himself, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? That's the first question. The second question is Abraham's in verse 23. Abraham asks the Lord, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? That's the second question. So the simple structure of our sermon this morning will be to look at each of these two questions in turn and see how God answers them. So we begin with the Lord's question in verse 17. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? This is the question that the Lord is asking to himself. If you were with us last Sunday, I'm sure you remember the first half of this chapter. The story of how the Lord appeared to Abraham and Sarah in visible form with two of his angels. So that they looked like three men. The Lord visited Abraham and Sarah at their tent, and he revealed to them something that he was going to do. He told them how, in about a year's time, Sarah would give birth to a son. The promised son for whom they'd been waiting and waiting. Through whom God would continue his covenant and his promise of blessing to all humankind. So God has already in this chapter shared with them one thing that he's about to do. But now here in the second half of chapter 18, we find out that there's another thing the Lord is about to do. A second errand for which he appeared in this place with his angels. He hasn't appeared only to bring Abraham and Sarah the exciting promise of their son's long-awaited birth. He has also come to judge the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah were two cities in the land of Canaan, allied cities that sat right next to each other in a little valley. And they were wicked cities. You can see it right there in verse 20 of our text. It says, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was great. And their sin was very grave. The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah was great. When the Bible uses that expression, 
it doesn't necessarily mean that there was some group of people crying out to God about these cities. For example, uh, when Cain murdered Abel in Genesis chapter 4, the Lord said to Cain, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. So, the outcry here, even if no human voice cries out against sin, sin itself cries out to God against the sinner. Because God is good and just and holy, the very fact of sin calls out to him for judgment, demands his judgment. Here in Genesis chapter 18, the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah has become, in God's perception, like a kind of horrible noise, a clamor that won't stop ringing in his ears. Or to use another uh, image that the Bible uses in a different place, like a foul stench in his nostrils. The people of Sodom and Gomorrah are just asking for it. Their way of life cries out for God's judgment against them. And so this is what the Lord is about to do. He's going to send the two men who are with him, really two angels, you remember. He's going to send them into Sodom to see, as he says in verse 21, whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Though, of course, the Lord God already knows everything, he's like a divine investigator here. He's going to collect evidence for his judgment. When the two men get to Sodom, the Lord will expose once and for all the depth of the wickedness that is causing this great outcry, this great stench of sin. And then he will deal with it. That's what the Lord is about to do. But before he does it, he asks himself this question in verse 17 of our text. Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? This is, of course, a rhetorical question. The Lord isn't really wondering hmm, whether he should hide this from Abraham. He's already decided to tell Abraham. But he asks the question in this way to show us why he's going to tell Abraham. Why he's going to share with Abraham what he is planning to do. Look with me, please, at verses 17 to 19 of our text. Let's read those all together. Verses 17 to 19. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him, to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. The Lord asks the question, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? And then he answers it. No, I will not hide from Abraham what I am about to do, because I have chosen him. The Lord has chosen Abraham to be the father of a great family, a family who will do righteousness. Pay attention to that word, a key word for us this morning, a family of righteous people. And through that family, the Lord promises to bless all the nations of the earth. 
So God's decision to share with Abraham his plan to judge Sodom has something to do with the righteousness of Abraham's family and with God's promise to bless us all through them. There's some kind of connection. And to understand exactly what that connection is, I think we have to keep going in this text. So bear with me, please. Let's move on to Abraham's question in verse 23. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? When the Lord tells Abraham that he is about to judge Sodom, Abraham responds by asking the Lord, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What Abraham has just learned about God raises for him a concern, a question about God's character. And so, verse 23 tells us, Abraham drew near to the Lord and asked his question. By the way, this is always the right move, right? When we have a question or a concern about God, to draw near to God and ask. That's what Abraham does here. Good for him and good for us. Let's hear the whole of verses 23 to 25, where Abraham asks the same question in a few different ways. Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous in the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? So notice here, first of all, what Abraham affirms about the Lord. He calls God the judge of all the earth. Abraham recognizes that the pure and holy God who created this world in goodness for goodness has a perfect right to judge not only Sodom and Gomorrah, but the whole earth. He recognizes that it's right that the Lord should come down in his own time and in his own way and sweep away the wicked from the earth. Abraham's concern is not with the fact that God is going to sweep away the wicked. What Abraham is concerned with is whether God will sweep away the righteous along with the wicked. Though Abraham knows well that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are, in general, wicked, he's concerned that there might be some righteous people among them. And Abraham is seeking God's assurance that God is not going to just say, eh, too bad for, for those guys, and put them to death along with their neighbors. He's seeking God's assurance that God will remember the righteous and that God will rescue the righteous when he comes to judge the wicked. So why might Abraham in particular be so interested in this question, in finding out how God plans to deal with the righteous? Well, remember that the Lord has called Abraham and his family to be the righteous 
right? To keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, as we saw in verse 19. In other words, the righteous is code for the children of Abraham, for God's covenant people. Because the Lord is going to make Abraham the father of the righteous, he gives Abraham here a unique opportunity to intercede on behalf of the righteous, to plead with the Lord not to sweep away the righteous with the wicked, but to remember them and to rescue them in that day of his great judgment. So that's, I think, what's behind Abraham's question. Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? And what's the Lord's answer to that good question? Well, of course, it's no. Don't worry, Abraham. I am not going to sweep away the righteous with the wicked. No, when I come to judge the wicked, I'm going to deal differently with my covenant people. I'm going to remember them and I'm going to rescue them in the day of my judgment. I think that's God's answer. Where am I getting this? Don't take my word for it. Let me show you where I think we see that answer in this text. The Lord's immediate answer to Abraham's question is this, in verse 26. He says, If I find at Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Then there follows a long series of follow-up questions, right? In verses 27 to 32. Abraham asks over and over again, okay, but what if there's only 45? Or what if there's only 30? What if there's only 10? And every time Abraham makes that number smaller, the Lord confirms, I will not destroy it even if I find 45 there. I will not do it if I find 30 there. Even for the sake of just 10, I will not destroy it. I think the point of this exchange, or at least one thing we can take away from this exchange, is to show us that there is no number of righteous people too small for God to remember them, for God to know them and care about them and rescue them. Abraham stops at the number 10, but actually he could have kept going, I think. Even if there was only one righteous person in Sodom, the Lord would not destroy that city, at least not until he had rescued that righteous person out of Sodom, saved them from the coming judgment. And we know this because this is exactly what happens in chapter 19, following on this. We don't have time to read that whole chapter this morning. You could read it uh, this afternoon if you want to. But let me summarize it for you quickly. Chapter 19 tells us what happens right after this when the two angels who were with the Lord go down into Sodom, still disguised as two men. Well, instead of welcoming these men, like Abraham and Sarah did at the beginning of chapter 18, the men of Sodom try to force themselves on the two men sexually. It's a horrifying scene, and it exposes the depth of Sodom's sin. The divine investigator through the agency of his two angels, exposes that, yes, the people of this city are every bit as evil as he has heard. They have no love of God or of neighbor. They will stop at nothing to satisfy their depraved desires. 
This is a city that deserves God's judgment. But it turns out there is one righteous exception. And it's Abraham's nephew, Lot. Lot lives in Sodom. But he isn't like the other inhabitants of the city. He's the one man in Sodom who does welcome the two men and who tries to prevent his neighbors from forcing themselves upon the visitors. When the angels finally reveal themselves and warn Lot that the Lord is about to destroy the city, Lot passes on this urgent message to some of his neighbors, but they don't believe it. To them, the idea that there's a holy God who will judge their sin seems like a bad joke. Lot is the only man in the city who does believe God's warning. So the Bible shows us very clearly that Lot is not in the same category as his neighbors. They are wicked while he is righteous. But, get this, Lot is also, for sure, a sinner. His decision to move to Sodom in the first place, back in chapter 13, was probably sinful. And even in chapter 19, while he's in the presence of the Lord's angels, he sins a few times. So hear this, please, because this next point is very, very, very important. The difference between the wicked and the righteous is not that the wicked are sinners and the righteous aren't. That's not true. The wicked and the righteous are both sinners. And the difference isn't that the wicked have committed some kind of special, really, really bad sin, while the righteous only commit small sins that don't really matter. No, all sin is a big deal in God's eyes, and all of us have sinned in such a way that we deserve condemnation, we deserve judgment. Both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the difference between the wicked and the righteous is this, that the righteous are sinners who repent and have faith in God. You remember, I hope, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. If you remember nothing else from this whole sermon series, that would be the right thing to remember. Genesis 15, verse 6. Abraham believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was counted righteous by faith. And all of God's covenant people, past, present, and future, are counted righteous in the same way. It's faith in God that makes us righteous, that puts us in a right relationship with our God through Jesus Christ, who gives us his perfect righteousness as our own. So Lot is a sinner, but at the same time he is counted righteous. Because when he hears God's message, he believes and he has faith in God to save him. So here's what finally happens. The Lord mercifully takes Lot out of the city of Sodom. Then the Bible tells us, the Lord rained on Sodom and Gomorrah sulfur and fire from the Lord out of heaven. And he overthrew those cities and all the valley, and all the inhabitants of the cities, and even what grew on the ground. But when God destroyed the cities of the valley, 
God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. When God destroyed the cities of the valley, God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow. So here, I think, is God's clear, clear answer to Abraham's question. Will the Lord sweep away the righteous with the wicked? No. Instead, the Lord will remember Abraham. That is, he'll remember his covenant with Abraham and through Abraham with all faithful people. The Lord will remember his covenant and he will save the righteous. He will save the faithful out of the midst of the judgment. That's what the Lord did for Lot when he came down to judge Sodom. And that's what the Lord will do for all people who are counted righteous by faith in Jesus Christ. So no, brothers and sisters, the righteous and the wicked do not share the same fate. God teaches us as clearly as he can in these chapters and throughout the Old and New Testaments that the righteous and the wicked are bound for two totally different eternal destinies. At the last judgment, the judge of all the earth will divide the entirety of humankind into two categories. On the one hand, the righteous, and on the other, the wicked. There will be and there can be no in-between, no gray area, no third way. All of us, each of us, each of us will find ourselves either among the righteous children of the covenant, ushered into God's presence to live with him for eternity, hallelujah, or among the wicked, swept away from his presence to perish everlastingly. And the whole difference between the two, the only means by which any of us can escape the fate of the wicked is the righteousness that comes by faith. No one, not one single sinner, can escape the judgment of God by his or her own efforts. But on the other hand, God will not forget or fail to rescue even one little person who believes in him. So as we come to the end of this sermon, let me leave you with this thought. We've seen that the Lord doesn't hide from Abraham what he's about to do. Instead, he reveals to Abraham and to us that he intends to judge the wickedness of the world. And through his conversation with Abraham in this chapter and his rescue of Lot in chapter 19, he also reveals to us his heart to save sinners from that judgment by calling us to righteousness by faith. The Lord warns us about the danger that we're in as sinners, and he urges us to come to him in faith and be saved. He shares these things with us because he loves us, because he wants us to be saved. He wants to rescue us. He shares these things with us because he loves us, and not only us, but all of humankind. 
Remember what the Lord says in verse 18 here. That he reveals these things to Abraham because Abraham is the one through whom he will bless all the nations of the earth. God's greatest desire is not that anyone should die in their sins, but that all people, the whole earth over, should hear his message and believe and be blessed with saving faith in Jesus Christ. So let's pray now to close. (coughs) Lord, we pray that you would count us righteous by faith. That each one in this room today would hear your message, would know you, and would trust you as Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray that you would give us courage, discernment, and the daily help of your Holy Spirit as we seek to share the message of salvation with our unbelieving neighbors, so that we and they might together be found among the righteous when you come again in glory to judge the earth. Amen.